Welcome to Standard Chartered Money Insights, a podcast series by Standard Chartered Bank that brings you market views and insights on the go. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me today. I am Audrey Goh, Head of Asset Allocation and Thematic Strategy. After a very downbeat April, the May of month finally offered investors some relief. Global equities staged a 6% rebound from mid-May to end the month approximately where they started. In the bond markets, bond delivered slightly higher total returns as yields took a turn lower, while gold prices lagged. May relief rebound notwithstanding, the key question remains, is this simply a temporary bear market rally or the start of more sustained gains for equity markets? What can investors do while gauging recession risk? And certainly with modestly higher yield today, where are some of the opportunities for income investors? Later today, we'll be releasing our global market outlook titled The Income Opportunity. To discuss this with me, I have Manpreet Gill, who is the head of FICC within the CIO office. So Manpreet, let's start with the markets. After a very challenging month of April, we have seen a strong equity rebound since mid-May, but it is only natural to question whether this is the start of sustained gains, uh, which is our base scenario, or just a temporary market, uh, bear market rally. So what are your thoughts on this? Um, hi, Audrey. Um, well, you're right. I think the rebound in the last couple of months has certainly been quite welcome. Uh, but to your question, I think we can use a few macro and market guidelines to, to help answer you know, how sustainable this equity market rally might be. Now, we know that historically, uh, U.S. equity markets usually do well in non-recessionary years. And this year, we've also seen global equity market valuations dip uh, as yields have gone up. Now, this combination has meant long-term expected returns are finally start to look more attractive, uh, definitely than compared to a year ago. Our own assessment shows that a simple buy and dip strategy has worked well in recent decades. Um, and another study I came across noted that 3 to 12-month gains are usually pretty strong after you get a 6% weekly rise, as we just witnessed recently. Now, a lot of positives, but the main caveat here, of course, is that these conclusions tend to hold in non-recessionary years. So we think it might help to think in terms of economic scenarios. Now, our base case scenario continues to assume no U.S. recession within the next 6 to 12 months um, as U.S. inflation eases somewhat in the second half of the year, enabling the Fed to turn its focus from fighting inflation alone to also supporting economic growth. Now, the lack of new warning signals on a recession checklist and easing market inflation expectations in recent weeks do support this base case scenario. The main risk, of course, is one where inflation fails to peak as quickly as we expect and the market's inflation expectations return to or exceed recent highs, possibly due to continued supply disruptions or a further jump in oil prices. Now, this risk scenario is one where the Fed would be encouraged to tighten uh, too much, even if growth weakens. And that, of course, would make it harder for markets to hold on to gains. So not a base case scenario, but that's, of course, the risk. So given the potential for still higher inflation and also less friendly Fed, um, what can investors do in the near term? Well, for one, I think regardless of what ultimate scenario we end up in, um, you know, the near term outlook's a little bit clearer. Uh, and that's one for the current equity rebound extending somewhat. Now, history shows that buying the dip when 12 month returns turn negative, as indeed they just did at the end of April for the S&P 500. Uh, that was a strategy that delivered attractive uh, benchmark beating returns over time. Uh, that's on the optimistic side, of course. But even if you believe that we're approaching a recession and this is just a bear market rally, 
history shows that even these bear market rallies can be quite sizable. Um, you know, in the past, for example, they've averaged anywhere from 10 to 25% and have lasted anywhere from about just over 20 to just under 60 days. So within that big picture, of course, there are three additional steps we think investors can take to diversify their risk. Uh, first is, of course, by continuing to hold gold, uh, which we view as preferred alongside equities. Um, second, of course, is through um, equity market, uh, equity sector exposure, rather. Um, when you think about a six to 12 month horizon, we continue to prefer the energy and financial sectors globally, uh, the healthcare sectors in the US and Europe, and the industrial sectors in China. Uh, these, of course, all more closely aligned with, with our base case macro scenario. A third way, of course, is to diversify uh, through regional diversification. Now, the scenarios we discussed, they they offer quite a US-centric view of the world. And while that's still pretty important for most financial markets, uh, China's economy and policy are clearly at a very different point in the economic cycle. And in our view, that offers a way to diversify exposure from those US-centric scenarios alone. Uh, China's weak economic data is now pretty well known and arguably pretty well priced as well. However, China's gradual easing of some of the recent COVID restrictions uh, and what is clearly a more noticeable policy emphasis on supporting economic growth are two positive catalysts we'd focus on that that we believe can support Chinese and Asian equities from here. So the debate on equity market notwithstanding, one opportunity that's relatively less debatable is the increasingly attractive income use that we are seeing today. And after a very tough start to the year, you know, use across most areas in bonds are close to multi-year highs. And our multi-asset income strategy now also offers a use of over 5%, which is considerably higher than the sub-4% on offer for much of 2021, and also not far, not too far off from the 2020 sell-off peak. So what are your thoughts on income assets? Well, actually, I, I agree with your point quite strongly that I think uh, that the opportunity in income assets does look fairly uh, attractive at this point in time. Now, like you said, low bond deals have been quite a challenge for in, uh, income investors for several years now. Uh, but today, we're at a point where yields across several areas, particularly in bonds, are starting to approach multi-year highs. So if you look at the bond side of the income allocation for a moment, uh, of course, three areas we particularly like, in addition to the broader opportunity, of course, and higher yields, uh, are, of course, Asian dollar bonds, emerging market dollar government bonds, and high yield bonds in developed markets. Now, if you look, think about those preferences for a moment, uh, we do expect Asian dollar bonds to be supported by signs of greater urgency among Chinese policymakers to ease COVID-linked restrictions. Rollout measures, of course, to support the broader economy, uh, the improvement in the credit impulse we've seen with recently, and, of course, in expensive valuations. Uh, we've also seen recent measures to support property developer access to onshore funding markets um, and boost property demand. Those should also help as well. Um, when you think about developed market high yield bonds, uh, they should see support from valuations, which we do see at being you know at odds with the low default rates and improving corporate credit quality, as well as higher oil prices, which should be supportive for energy sector bonds. And looking at emerging market dollar government bonds, of course, those should be supported by you know what we see is sharp fall in valuations and a slowing or topping out of U.S. bond yields. So uh, rolling those up into multi asset income, of course, a way uh, offers one way to gain exposure to these, uh, but within a well diversified you know uh, overall allocation. But I'd emphasize it's not just about bonds. Uh, that's obviously one area we've highlighted our preferences. But multi asset income strategies also benefit from having the exposure to equities uh, through high dividend paying equities, where we've seen similar gains in in yields. And of course, yields from non-core income assets such as REITs or convertibles, where of course uh, uh, we see as as good contributors to the overall income. Great. So one of the areas which have been strongly debated is the US dollar. Uh, we have seen US dollar strength since the start of the year, but we might also be seeing signs of a top being put in place. 
Um, do you agree? And if so, which currencies do you see benefiting the most? I think the most important point here is that uh, the narrative is clearly shifting. Uh, we've spent a lot of the early part of the year, you know, questioning how far the Fed may go. But more recently, the markets have started to increasingly question whether the ECB and other major central banks uh, now have room to catch up with the Fed. Um, and that, of course, you know, uh, feeds into interest rate differentials and hence the question of whether the US dollar has peaked. Now, there are five reasons we think the dollar is either has or is, is fairly close to a peak. Uh, one is that, of course, the, the Fed policy expectations, as I described, most probably near peak hawkishness in a base scenario, at least. Um, and, you know, if we see a greater shift, of course, to supporting growth, that that would be, a, you know, take away the upside pressure from the dollar side. Second, of course, uh, other central banks, ECB, perhaps most pertinently, but even the BOJ at some point, uh, you know, may start to normalize monetary policy. Uh, that, of course, may be a support for, for their currencies. Third, of course, you know, we may see capital flows rotate away from the focus on U.S. assets alone to other more attractively valued assets. And I think equity markets is one where historically you've seen that happen, uh, you know, later in the cycle. Fourth, of course, there's a question of the steady de-dollarization of the global economy. I think that's one background question that's always been facing us. And fifth, of course, we're approaching an uncertain period in, in U.S. politics and, of course, broader policy direction. So I think from a fundamental perspective, those are five factors uh, you know, behind the, arguing the case for a, a dollar peak. But even from a technical standpoint, I think if we get a sustained break below 101 in the DXY dollar index, uh, that would add confidence that another high uh, can be avoided. Uh, on the other side, in terms of beneficiaries, I think first and foremost, I'd still highlight commodity currencies like the Aussie and the Canadian dollar, because these are underpinned not only by higher commodity prices and a revival in Chinese demand, but also by rising interest rates by their own central banks. Um, but if you start looking a little bit longer term, if those five factors start to really take hold, then of course, the euro and even the yen at some point should stand to gradually start to gain uh, as the dollar peaks. Oh, you mentioned about commodities. Um, gold has experienced headwinds from rising interest rate expectations and a strong US dollar, which reached a high of you know, 105, a level last seen in 2002. While gold prices have fallen uh, last month and it's now trading between US dollar 1,790 and 1,870. And for oil, uh, we've recently seen European sanction on crude oil uh, supply from Russia, not just directly to Europe, but also on global shipments that would previously have been insured by European companies, and that could also restrict total supply. So what are your latest thoughts on gold and oil? Well, maybe to start with gold, I think, uh, like I mentioned uh, somewhere at the start, we do remain positive on gold on a 6 to 12 month horizon. Um, you know, in our base case scenario, at least, we're of the view that uh, what the likely series of Fed rate hikes in front of us for this year is now likely in the price. Uh, and that means bond deals, uh, you know, hopefully should not be a, a big constraint on gold. Now, if I look at a proprietary uh, equity bond market risk model, it's one sort of way of looking at where we are in the cycle, uh, that's actually signaling a high risk of moving to, to an economic stage where gold does outperform a uh, significantly. So I think that's one positive. And second, of course, long term, if we do get the US dollar peak, as we just discussed, that, you know, historically has also lent a tailwind to gold as well. So a few positive factors coming through, in addition to any near term, uh, you know, positives from risk aversion, if, if that comes back up. Now, on the oil side, of course, we do expect prices to remain elevated. Um, 
I think on one hand, as you mentioned, we've got the EU-sanctioned Russian crude oil supply. Um, and that's not only directly on supplies themselves, but also on insuring global shipments by European companies. Uh, that could, of course, continue to limit uh, global supply. And while we've recent, in recent days seen some reports that some OPEC members may consider boosting output in response, uh, there's still quite a lot of uncertainty out there over how any potential shortfalls might be met. Um, We'd also note uh, that global oil inventories continue to draw down and remain at a four-year low. And actually, so far, OPEC Plus has struggled to keep up even with the, the, their existing quota increases. And of course, we're monitoring the demand that's likely to increase as China economy starts to recover from COVID lockdown. So regardless of which way you look at it, uh, we do think you know, markets are likely to remain tight uh, and keep those oil prices at, at elevated levels. Great. Uh, thanks, Manpreet. And I guess that's all the time we have for today. Thanks again, Manpreet, for sharing your thoughts and thank you all for joining us. In the meantime, have a great weekend ahead. Thank you for listening to Standard Chartered Money Insights, a podcast series by Standard Chartered Bank. For more details on the latest market insights, subscribe to Standard Chartered Money Insights.